What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Switch Sports Show. Uh, very excited to bring you guys a quick new episode. Obviously, the last one dropped a couple days ago, going over the Celtics implosion, uh, the Lakers struggle with their injuries, and also just the playoff check-in in general. Uh, so today, we'll talk about the Eastern Conference semifinals. The next episode that dropped, we'll go over the Western Conference semifinals. I had to do this in two parts since it has not the Western Conference semifinals have not been fully decided yet with the Clippers and Mavericks series still up in the air. So I wanted to get this out of the way because the games do start tomorrow. The Bucks and the Nets play game one in what my opinion is going to maybe be the best series in this playoffs with the two best teams in the league. Again, in my opinion. So without further ado, let's get right into it. First, I want to give a shout out to my Hawks. Yes, sir. We won our first first round series in a, a really long time. I forget the exact year, but Nate McMillan, our head coach, won his first first round series since 2005. That is a long time. I was only seven years old at the time, maybe six for most of the year. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty excited. Sorry, just thinking about it. Uh, the Knicks played a great contest, but we were just the better team. We outplayed them in almost every game. It could have been a sweep, uh, but we choked away our lead in game two. But nonetheless, uh, let's get right to the semis. And let's start with uh, the less less hype series, I guess, with the Sixers and the Hawks. And I think a lot of people, their decisions are really contingent upon whether Joel Embiid is playing or not. And let me tell you otherwise, because I don't believe it matters as much if Joel Embiid is playing or not. Not to devalue Embiid in the slightest, because he's one of the best players in the league and a generational talented big man. But in my opinion, when you look at all the analytic records uh, from the D LeBron, D Raptor, and D Darko stats, it, it all favors the 76ers. Now, that being said, I don't want to act like my Hawks are total pushovers. Uh, but it's going to be a heavy uphill battle for us. Now, the way I look at things is that the Sixers have the defensive and offensive personnel to really, really hinder Trey Young in this series. Seth Curry is an absolute marksman. And given during the last series, we would place our our point guard Trey Young on their weekend shooter Reggie Bullock. And Reggie Bullock seemingly got into his own head with some of the trash talking he was doing and was very inconsistent throughout the whole series. A mistake that I don't think will happen to Seth Curry. He's very calm and also just in general a way, way better shooter uh, than a Reggie Bullock. No disrespect to him. And if he's getting opportunities in the catch and shoot, he can even create for himself in very minor circumstances. He's going to be a massive problem for us to deal with this series. And on top of that, when you look at things defensively, Matisse Thybul and Danny Green shared some of the most reps uh, as far as coverage on Trey Young uh, in the regular season. And I expect those two to cause massive problems. I know Danny Green has somewhat become a meme following his lackluster shooting performances, open miss threes, and whatnot. But he's a fantastic on-ball defender and has the size uh, uh, to really bother Trey Young and also the instincts. He's really great at getting to the ball and really irritating ball handlers. Uh, it's really the same thing with Matisse Thybul, but he is pretty much one of the, 
I would say one of the 10, 15 best defenders uh, in the NBA. And he, I think he could be a massive problem, whether that be on Trey or Bogdanovich. Now, of course, you can't go to the Sixers without talking about Ben Simmons. And Ben Simmons is a, is a very heavily criticized player, but at the end of the day, he can chill, still change the scope of the game without scoring a single point. He's a fantastic defender, in my opinion, the best overall defender in the league, given the fact that he can essentially stretch from one through five. Yes, from point guard all the way to center. He has that defensive capability. Um, he dominates in the off ball, being able to read passes and such. And all in all, he could really become a, a nightmare unless our players are careful with the ball. The Knicks defense benefited from the fact that we weren't making our threes all the time. You know, we got a lot of good shots last series that we didn't make. Players like Gallinari, uh, even Bogdanovich in most first halves, were breaking a lot of open threes. And Trey Young in the last two games also didn't shoot that well from three after really stroking it uh, during the first three games. And that's something that could really become a problem for us if we're not hitting open shots. Because like I said, this is an uphill battle for us. Um, a key matchup, I think, in this one is Tobias Harris versus DeAndre Hunter. Now, of course, this is really contingent upon the fact that Joel Embiid is not playing, which is still up in the air. But Tobias Harris has emerged this year as a true all-star. Even though he didn't make the team, uh, he very well should have. He was absolutely fantastic, and he showed immense strides, immense growth uh, under Doc Rivers, which was pretty unsurprising. I always felt like Brett Brown misused him uh, in his time there for a year. But DeAndre Hunter has been fantastic. Uh, he did share the bulk of the load against a Julius Randle and really forced him to make poor decisions. But, you know, Julius Randle is better than Tobias Harris. But at the same time, Tobias Harris is less prone uh, to make some of these stupid decisions that Randle uh, was making and being that he has a more controlled role in the offense rather than a ball dominant number one uh, could also allow him to get hot easy. We saw him go off for 37 uh, in one in one of the first round games against Washington and given that Washington's defense is really bad um, I'm not sure you know and, and the thing about Atlanta's defense is we are not that good but I think with the physicality New York played with, uh, it really opened us up to play more physical, which is why our defense has been way better uh, in the postseason than it has uh, in the past. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to go against my team, especially after series like that where we absolutely just demolished the Knicks, uh, sent them home on their home court. Um but, but it is hard for me to see them winning. And I guess now I have to spin the take to what if Joel Embiid plays. Well, if Joel Embiid plays, that is a very big problem. Because now I think that makes you worry about Simmons all the much more. I'm much more content with allowing somebody to contain Simmons um, in the case that he is the focal point of the offense rather than the secondary uh, playmaker to Embiid. But... If, if Embiid's there, Embiid has actually developed into a very, uh, a much smarter player. You know, in the past, Embiid has been prone to very clumsy turnovers and sloppy basketball, despite his immense talent. 
but now he's really turned into a, one of the better passers at the big man position, which he always had the talent to do so. It was just mired with inconsistency and, and um, a lack of control at most times. And the problem is, is that Ben Simmons is a 6'10 point forward that essentially runs like a point guard, like a small point guard. He's extremely fast for his size. And it is pretty terrifying because if Embiid's in the post, he's more than likely going to get doubled because it's Embiid. And that will open up a lane for Ben Simmons to cut to the hoop. And if a 6'10 point guard or a 6'10 forward with point guard speed is running to the hoop, it'll be very, very hard to stop that. And even with Ben's hesitancy to go up with the basketball, the fact is, is that someone will close on him. And he'll be able to kick it out to someone like a Seth Curry for an easy make or an easy opportunity. And it's just Philly's offense, I think, is much more experienced. Obviously, you know, their young core has been here for a while now. They've made the playoffs for how many consecutive seasons? Uh, I'm not sure. But I do think Philly is an incredible team. And I do consider them on par with... Uh, the likes of a Brooklyn and Milwaukee, even though, you know, everyone I feel like considers them the odd man out of those three teams. Uh, even beyond this matchup, another reason why Embiid's presence is, is pretty terrifying is because of the fact that he can pull Capella out of the paint. Now, Capella is a fantastic interior defender, don't get me wrong, but if Embiid, being a good shooter, can pull him outside of the paint area, that's going to create massive problems for pretty much how effective he can be. Because Cambella is not someone that, that thrives off being a perimeter defender. He thrives off being in the paint and allowing to contest shots, block shots, whatever you may call it. And um, yeah, basically Embiid would really, really expose uh, the holes in our defense. Now, as far as the Sixers bench goes, Tyrese Maxey has shown uh, immense off-ball and on-ball talents throughout the series. Uh, just on-ball, sorry. And his creation, I don't think, will be that significant. He is a score-first guard, and I do think, you know, in the situation that Capella or Kongwu are in the paint, will be fine for the most part. But... At the same time, you know, if he, he is a streaky guy, and if he can get hot against the likes of a Lou Williams, the guard of our bench unit that would be covering him, that would be a pretty significant problem for us to deal with as well. They have other guys like Korkmaz and also um, Shake Milton that can shoot, and obviously Big Dwight Howard down low, another big presence. The major problem with the Knicks was they didn't really have a, a big man that could match up with Capella as far as the size goes. And that was obviously because of Mitchell Robinson being out. And also the fact that Nerlens Noel is like 6'8 or 6'9 and like 200 pounds, right? So I guess I've been rambling on for a little bit, but I just kind of wanted to give you a rundown of what the Sixers look like. Because I feel like everyone's thinking that if Embiid's out, it's going to be really easy for the Hawks. And it's not. It's really not. Um, that being said, if Embiid is out, I would take the Sixers in six or seven games. And if Embiid is in, I would say it could go five games just because 
uh, Embiid really changes that offense so much, and there's just they're just better on defense like that. So let's move on to the more anticipated, bigger matchup. The Brooklyn Nets get their first real test, and this test is going to show a lot. Upon both, uh, sorry, I can't speak today. Uh, it's going to show a lot about both sides. You know, let's start with the Bucks. The Bucks have been around for a while, obviously. Giannis has been a two-time MVP. He was better this year than he was in each of his MVP years. They also added the likes of Drew Holiday, uh, Bryn Forbes, Bobby Portis, P.J. Tucker. Uh, a very solid, in my opinion, what is the deepest team in the league. And I think they were really able to showcase that against Miami, um, which apart from game one was a full-on onslaught on them, right? Like, they absolutely destroyed them. Now, obviously, they're going up against a three-headed monster. Brooklyn has three superstars. But Drew Holiday is a fantastic defender. I think one of the most underrated guards in the league. Chris Middleton is also a great defender. And he's also one of the most efficient scorers in the league. And while he hasn't shown up in the playoffs in the past... He looked very comfortable in round one against Miami. Now, obviously, that Miami team wasn't as good defensively as it was in their finals run from the previous year. But it's a good sign to see Chris Middleton uh, be useful. You know, he he really just has has really hampered this Bucks team in the past with the likes of Eric Bledsoe not being able to hit a shot, which allows the defense to collapse on Giannis, which is essentially what's happened the last couple of years. Uh, Giannis this year, you know, I think Giannis is still a very similar player to what he is with minor improvements in both sides of the court. Uh, but being that you have guys like Bryn Forbes who are knockdown shooters, Drew Holiday who can truly create for himself, and Chris Middleton also becoming... Uh, this knockdown shooter in the playoffs, as he should be, Giannis has been able to operate with ease and dominance. And I think that will continue in Brooklyn. And I'll get to Brooklyn's defense uh, when we talk about them. But at the same time, Giannis is what he is. He's what the nickname is implying. He's a Greek freak, right? Uh, unreal length and an unreal, you know, step. Sorry, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out the best way to put this. An unreal ability to move from the three-point line all the way to the rim within like two steps. It's it's absurd. I mean, we all see it. Um, and I, I just don't know. Like, you can stop that to an extent if you commit multiple defenders. But how much can you commit multiple defenders when you have guys that can shoot in the Bryn Forbes, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, uh, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis. These guys aren't guys you can leave open because Giannis does have the intellect to find these open guys if he knows he's getting collapsed upon, which I also think is one of the minor improvements Giannis has made to his game. Uh, well, the way I say it, it's not really minor. It is probably major, but in the retrospect of his entire development. Um, so, yeah, I think the Bucks, in my opinion, they're the best team in the league which I know probably sounds absurd. You know, they didn't have the best record. They were a three seed. But I think this is the deepest roster in the league. 
Um, the fact that their guys are finally showing up in the playoffs makes a massive difference as it allows Giannis to be comfortable and show off his talents. Uh, but the big key factor here is coach Mike Budenholzer. Now, Budenholzer is an off-malign coach, and rightfully so. He is a really stubborn coach that just straight up refuses to make adjustments at the time of need. Last year, if you remember, he was playing Giannis 35 minutes a game in a very tight playoff series despite being healthy, which never made sense then, still doesn't make sense now. Now, if if this is a tight series, Giannis cannot be playing just 35 minutes a game. He's totally healthy, he's an athletic freak, and you need to let him dominate this Brooklyn defense, which in reality, I can make a hypothetical about Brooklyn surviving, but they just don't have the tools to truly contain him. So, and I think this is it for Budenholzer in general. Like, it's hard to kind of say that, oh, if you lose to Brooklyn, you're fired because of how good and talented Brooklyn is up top. But how long are they going to keep waiting on Mike Boonholzer to to show this whatever they're waiting on? Are, are they waiting on him to take him to the finals? How much longer are you going to waste Giannis's prime? And the likes of Chris Middleton, you gave up so much for Drew Holiday in terms of draft capital. Uh, you built this nice deep team. Unfortunately, DiVincenzo uh, went down with injury, but you're still competent enough to get the job done. How much longer are you going to wait for all this to come together? And that's what the Bucks uh, front office has to ask themselves if Budenholzer isn't able to get the job done. And I believe if he can't get the job done, if he can at least take this to a six or seven game series, uh, I, sh- I do believe he should be fired. So let's switch over to Brooklyn. And this is going to be Steve Nash's biggest test as a first year head coach. Now, obviously, Nash is someone that uh, many people don't even consider to be a head coach. Heck, Kyrie said earlier in the season that we don't even need a coach, which again, um, is kind of sad. But uh, in retrospect, I mean, not in retrospect, but in actuality, Nash has uh, done a lot for this Nets team. He essentially operates Kyrie in the Golden State Warriors offense, where they had Steph do more off-ball stuff rather than on-ball, which is the best kind of um, usage of him that you can do. Uh, James Harden operates as the primary point guard, which he has absolutely thrived in. But I don't think people should be going head over heels just because they beat a Celtics team that is pretty bad. Uh, this is not a good Celtics team. They don't have a bench for the most part. Uh, the pieces really don't fit. Kemba Walker was injured halfway through the series. Evan Fournier is just not that great. Uh, Jason Tatum was all they had in the defense, aside from, you know, brief, nice stints from Romeo Langford, was not good either. Um, and, and the fact of the matter is, yes, their offense can explode for any matter. But again, it, I think people are putting too much stock over a dominant outing over a team that, frankly, uh, is one of the worst teams in the playoffs, aside from like the Wizards, right? Um, kudos to the Wizards for winning a game, by the way. I did not see that coming. But to focus in on Brooklyn, I think this will show what Nash understands about his roster. There are personnel on this team that have the talent and the skill set to become key players in this uh, rotation. That being, obviously, Nicholas Claxton, number one, a player who I've been 
talking about, I feel like, this entire season as the hidden X factor for the Nets. Um, yeah, I mean, that kid is really good, and he, he moves well. And at seven foot, 237 pounds, I believe he's the only player on this Brooklyn team that can truly hope to contain Giannis because you can't fully stop him, right? Even, you know, even through Giannis's struggles in past pl- uh, playoff games, like, it's not a matter of he's been stopped. It's he's been contained, right? Um, and then aside from him, there's guys like Alize Johnson and Mike James. These are guys that when you think about them, they're not big names at all, of course. But at the same time, when they were picked up from the G League, Euro League, these guys came in and had great performances and showed their value. And I do think a guy like Alize Johnson, who operates more as a four-man, uh, can do a great job stretching the floor, becoming an athletic transition target for the big trio, but also create disruption on the defensive end because he is somebody that he's not necessarily this uber-talented, uh, handsy defender, but he plays with an energy and vitality that he, he can really disrupt uh, some of their you know, catch and shooters. He can disrupt, I feel like, a Bobby Portis or at times a, uh, a Chris Middleton in certain situations. And beyond him, you know, Joe Harris and Landry Shamit are going to have to shoot the ball well. I do think this is going to be, like I said, Brooklyn's biggest test. Does Nash understand his personnel? Can this team truly win without a real semblance of a defense in this situation? And how good, how good can a purely offensively dominant team be exactly when you go up against a more complete team? And if the Nets are really able to dominate this series with ease, then it's hard to imagine anybody beating them. That being said, my prediction is Bucks and six. Uh, if it goes to seven, though, I will take the Nets because. Um, I think it's a matter of being worn out, and I don't think that, and I think that, um, you know, KD, Kyrie, and Harden would sort of be ready for a game seven uh, as, as far as offensively goes. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that Brooklyn, you know, they might give up 130, but they also have the potential to put up, um, you know, 130, 140 on any given night, which is absolutely terrifying. And the reason I picked the Bucks is I believe that they have the same offensive potential uh, not ne- actually same as stretching it a bit too much, but they have a slightly less offensive potential, but they have massive differential as far as defensive potential goes. You know, this is a fantastically deep team, like I keep saying, and I'm very excited for this series to get underway. Um, I think it's going to be tight, good, good basketball. That's all I can say. I think this might go down as the best series of the playoffs. Um, Obviously, I don't know the finals matchup yet, so it's definitely too early to say. But, yeah, that's just what I think. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed this. And Again, another brief episode because I'm only talking about uh, two playoff series. Uh, tomorrow, I will, or whenever the Clippers-Mavericks series ends, I'll be able to get to the Western Conference semis. But that's all for today. So I hope you guys have a wonderful Friday. Have a wonderful weekend. And I'll talk to you guys soon.